0: I'm a feminist but I'm secretly delighted that tonight we're in hall one in King's Place the big room and my dad wrote a porno the very fancy podcast that is sort of we're often neck and neck within ratings is in hall two which is less than half the size that <laughs> it's, not, it's not okay to be competitive with another podcast especially another podcast with a woman in it but secretly, I did think, "Oh, we're in the big room." <laughs> <laughs> I apologise to all at my dad, Roger Porna who I'm lovely people, and I don't think it's a noble thought. That's why it's coming in this section of ignoble thoughts
4: glorious. I'm a feminist, but my um, shower gel at the moment is from Lush, and it's my favourite shower gel I've ever had, even though it's called Snow Fairy. Uh, (laughs) And it's pink and glittery and makes me smell of sweet, sweet prepubescent dreams. Uh, And the fact that I love it jars with the whole of my personality, and the only way I can work through the guilt and confusion is to imagine it's made out of liquidised Disney princesses. Do you want to sniff me, Debs?
0: I do. Oh, it does smell nice, though. It's lovely. Mm, It it does smell like the blood of Snow White. (laughs) Um, I'm a feminist, but there was
4: a man in my yoga class making sex noises. Here we go. I saw a man in my gym and fuck in the air. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I do. I live in um, Lewisham in South East London, and everyone's like, "Yeah, I mean." hashtag Lewis hashtag Catford <laughs> standard um, honestly just walking through Catford this evening was the most hashtag Catford walk through Catford I've had in a long time there was a man carrying an entire bed um, <laughs> there was a man crossing a busy dual carriageway at rush hour with a baby in his arms and headphones on um, <laughs> Also, it's Christmas, so um, there's lots of people in Christmas clothes, but people in Christmas clothes all year round in Catford. Are anyway, um, this man was fucking the air, and I put that on Twitter, and I had a load of people going, oh, uh, yeah, excuse me, it's called a glute bridge, and I was like, no, that is a different thing. I'm aware that looks like. You sort of have to lie on your back and lift your bum up. No, mm. this man was doing something totally different. He was blowing little, like, winks and kisses at himself in the mirror. No, yeah. stop and it. And then he got on all fours and fucked the air. <laughs> got good old missionary air fuck (laughs) did you complain? no because I think the air consented
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a feminist but there was a man in my yoga class making sex noises that were quite so ostentatiously sex noises that people started to look at each other (laughs) and I felt like as a feminist I should be annoyed because he was like the only man in the class and I thought oh is he being provocative but then I just thought do you know what? It's Christmas. It's fine. I <laughs> like it's a Christmas party. Almost, like, I was just like, it's fine. It's fine. I didn't complain.
4: OK. I've got real shame about this one. I'm a feminist, but my girlfriend lives very far away from me and is soon to come and stay with me for ten whole days in a row, and I'm looking forward to it more than I can describe. But one of the excited thoughts I've genuinely caught myself having was, ooh, if she's staying for that long, I might get to do some of her washing. <laughs> Why would you want to do her washing? I've already got a child's washing and my washing to do. I've already got so much washing to do for someone who works a lot. And I just thought it. It was an honest thought. I thought, ooh, I'm going to wash her gym jams.
0: Is that because you want to look after her and nurture her? Yeah, I think so. Oh. Yeah, yeah,
4: that's that's quite fucking, nice. I don't like washing.
0: I think that's quite sweet. I mean, it's not feminist, but it's quite sweet. It's not feminist. No. Are you turning into a 1950s housewife <laughs> yeah. for your girlfriend?
4: Oh, God. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> do you want to cook for her as well? Yeah. Well, we could, yeah. We both like cooking for each other.
0: Oh. I'm a feminist, but tonight, you won't know this at home, but I robbed a feminist in the front row of her Reese's peanut butter <laughs> cup. <laughs> by saying is that a Reese's peanut butter cup you have during the warm-up and she said yes and I said have you brought enough for everybody because I really wanted it and she said oh it's fine you can have it I've only got one left I've eaten the others and I said okay then (laughs) but I want this audience to verify that I did check several times and make sure there was full consent (laughs) can you verify that what? Some people are saying oh. no. That's not fair. You know that I did. <laughs> the, the,
4: the, the audience too. if you're listening to the podcast, going, ooh, oh, actually, <laughs> is, the, is the one who had the Reese's Pieces <laughs> <laughs> robbed. Deborah, you're a chocolate no. thief. I'm a feminist, but I can't actually see my girlfriend's bum without needing to touch it like a cis old white man with a waitress. <laughs> It's like a, ooh, compulsion, <laughs> like, ooh.
0: are you Benny Hill? Yeah. <laughs> Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White. Guest co-host Jessica foster and very special guest, Danny Tiada, Rebecca Jones, Stephanie, Pascal Fraser-Carroll, talking about hope. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Jessica Fostkew, and we are talking about hope.
4: (laughs) Have you had a guilty week or a feminist week, Jessica Ooh, I've had moments of both. I had a lovely um, feminist moment in the gym earlier today. I uh, was preparing my bar to do some deadlifting and it, someone had not taken their weights off and uh i was stripping their weights off and um the man who was squatting behind me uh, very loud as they do giving it all of that he was and sort of going before each squat fuck off <laughs> it's like bad porn and um he uh, There was only 50 kilograms on this bar, so it's like two Mm. 15-kilogram things. I'd taken one off, and he just couldn't bear to watch it. came over and was like, I'll do that, and took the other 15 kilograms. And 15 kilograms, it's just like that, whatever. Anyway, I then really enjoyed squatting 100 kilograms over and over again right in front of him. (laughs) (laughs) After he tried to help me with the little weight.
0: Did you make some suitable grunting noises to him? I think
4: I probably occasionally release a bit of a... ..at the hardest point of the lift, yeah quite a middle-class
0: noise Jess
4: (laughs) yeah I don't know
0: I mean yeah it sounds like a sort of a restrained
4: yeah I do I do you know what I probably get in trouble for this I do not understand why anyone in the gym needs to be like "Ah!" (laughs) it's only
0: to be fair it's only men that do that yeah it is ever I mean hashtag not all men
4: If other. Hashtag and hashtag probably some women.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolute. Hashtag some women and non
4: binary people. Maybe I should try it. Maybe it's hugely cathartic. Next time I go, I'm going to try a bit of like. "Ah!" (laughs) See if it makes the lifting funner.
0: Someone would call an ambulance if you made that noise. (laughs) Might be some hot paramedics that come to your. Don't waste paramedics' time.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Not not at Christmas, please. Not again. (laughs) Have you had a feminist or an unfeminist?
0: Uh, I feel I've taken on too many things, and that was an error. And now I'm sort of just getting through each hour. Yeah. So I would say that's feminist. Yeah. Because work is feminist. (laughs) And also guilty because I'm not taking
4: care of my self-care. Well, you are by taking it hour by hour. It's the only way to cope, isn't it, with a lot of work?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. You're
4: playing a blinder, mate. Chill out. (laughs) You're doing great. Thank you
0: very much, Jessica Postacute. It is good to be endorsed by you, and I will (laughs) accept that and just get on with my life and stop (laughs) apologising. The
4: least grown-up person that you ever let co-host this, and I've I've managed to endorse. You've endorsed me, yeah.
0: No, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to stop apologising. Yeah. And just fucking live my life. Just live it. Just take it hour by hour. I mean, apologise, obviously, if you've done something wrong.
4: But don't apologise just for living your life, which is what I am often tempted to do. But if living your life does involve going to the gym and screaming, do apologise. Yes. <laughs> and or slash stop.
0: Um, now, we've got some serious guests today, uh, so we're going to do frivolous things at the top. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> you need frivolity before you're ready for serious. So strap in.
4: Just enjoy this fun bit, guys, at the start. Okay. <laughs> They're not innately unfun people, (laughs) but terrible things have happened (laughs) in the world. And so first, Debra's interested someone to come on and be like, we need something light at the top, we've got really serious stuff, and I was like, I can do my new stand-up about pubes.
0: (laughs) That is exactly what happened. She said, can I do my stand-up about pubes? It's going to be a show of two halves. Very much a show of two halves. Yeah, I said, you can do your stand-up about pubes if it's funny, because the second half will be less funny can you tie pubes into hope (laughs) we'll be interested to see how Jess has tied pubes into hope putting the pubes (laughs) into hope putting the pubes into hope that could be your new slogan if you ran that's my next show isn't it (laughs) tying hope into pubes (laughs) oh god
4: I just got a visual then or
0: pubes into rope
5: Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah here. I am just letting you know that we are having a fantastic time on the America Canada tour and we can't wait to release the podcasts. We've got some more shows coming up 20th of January, Monday. That's today, Seattle. And then 22nd of January, Los Angeles. Then it's over and out for the North American tour. And then we will be going to Australia. We're in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, the Gold Coast, Auckland, Christchurch and Wellington. Auckland is now sold out. Melbourne is now sold out. Sydney is now sold out. The first night of Brisbane is sold out. There's a second show in Brisbane that's not sold out. You can still get tickets for that. The Gold Coast, where I was raised, there's still tickets. Christchurch, there's still some tickets and Wellington, there's still some tickets, but not so many. So get in and get those quickly. I am also doing a our fundraiser for the bushfire fund while i am in australia so please check out the details of that show on the guilty feminist website guiltyfeminist.com where you can get tickets for all of these events please get in touch if you would like to join us on the 26th of january for the joyful resistance it's a brainstorm day to create new projects find new connections and get new balls rolling in an effort to create a more compassionate society and one in which we definitely don't criminalize humanitarians. So if you are somebody who's creative or someone with administration production skills or someone who just wants to be involved and wants to create connections and, and get involved with projects in any way, shape, or form, please email us at joyfulresistance at guiltyfeminist.com. On Wednesday, the 29th of January, I'm going to be hosting, I'm going to be hosting a fundraiser uh, for the terrible bushfires in Australia at the Clapham Ground with an incredible bill. Also check out the website for that. On the 30th of January, I'm doing Canned Laughter, karaoke roulette that is hosted by Olga Cock and Max Aleska. Get in, get tickets now. Uh, My book is now available in North America, as it is in the UK and other parts of the world. If you would like to bring along a book to any of the shows that I'm doing on this tour, then please do and I will sign it at the end. We're also doing a huge Guilty feminist live tour the way we did last year, May again this year. It'll be a brand new show. We're touring around the country. It's all live, not podcast. We are coming to all over the UK. You can check out dates and get tickets at GuiFers.com as starting in London at the Hammersmith Apollo, which is going to be a big gig. So get tickets now. And don't forget you can also get merch and the money for that goes into our pot for good things. Check out the website for that. And now back to the podcast.
0: stage, the incredible Jessica Bostegu!
4: In the grand scheme of my whole life, I became single relatively recently for the first time in nine years. Earlier this year. And um, I made myself two rules. I was like, rule number one, don't bang any of your best mates. You need them. Um, rule number two, don't fall in love. You're very busy. Uh, <laughs> Great news, I haven't banged any of my best mates. And I thought what I'd do is be really honest with people that I'm going to meet to date because, well, you've got to, right? But I wanted them to genuinely know what they were in for before they even got off the internet (laughs) and into my face. Um, So (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. Grow up. (laughs) So I was honest with people and just said, look, you know, I'm fresh out of a nine-year relationship that's not great is it <laughs> um, I'm a comedian sounds very cool but essentially what it means is I'm never free and I'm very needy <laughs> um, uh, and I've, uh, I've got a four year old you'll barely notice him <laughs> 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 they will he's very loud Um And that in itself has been interesting, but it's just a baptism of fire, I think, getting into dating after all that time. The rules will change in nine years in dating. Everything's done like online and all of that now. Also, I think just... If you're dating at 36 when you have a kid, that in itself is completely different to the last time I was single. Last time I was single was in my 20s. Whenever I am single, I am very joyfully promiscuous, and very much enjoy that, uh, proudly so. But last time I was single, I would occasionally, in the times where I've been single, have to make a phone call. It's not a fun phone call. It's a pretty awkward, embarrassing phone call. But I've had to make it where you ring someone up and say, I think we might have an STI. (laughs) Don't judge me, we've all been there. Um, But things are different now. This time around, I genuinely had to phone someone up and say, I think I've given you nits. (laughs) True story. (laughs) <laughs> story. Um, <laughs> also um also <laughs> being single this time round um for me has um requires coming out as not straight to lots of people and then um, I've realized my privilege, another layer of privilege that I have in doing the coming out to people age 36. I suddenly got this massive pang of um, sympathy for people who who know they're not straight when they're kids or teenagers, when they then have to tell their family about that. uh, A point where your identity is still so much information and so dependent on those particular people and how much they love you and whether they respect you. And it's so potentially you're so vulnerable in that situation, whereas when you're 36 and coming out then, it's a lot more like, wow, disown me if you want, Uncle Jim. Couldn't give a shit, you old prick. <laughs> in fairness to Uncle Jim, um, he didn't disown me, he just said, "Ow, oh, we've already got one of those in the family. <laughs> and in fairness to Uncle Jim, I didn't realise that was the rule, so... Um, <laughs> And that is annoying, isn't it? Um, I, I did used to. Um, I used to collect stickers um, when I was a kid, like those sticker books that you get. I collected the ones for football and wrestling. Of course, I did. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I know how you know you always got like oh no not another Ryan Giggs already got 10 of them oh no not another Undertaker I've got 50 of them so I do know how annoying it is Uncle Jim I do understand how annoying it is when your collection's full and you get yet another double Uncle Jim I do know that quick question though Uncle Jim quick question how many members of a family do you need who are before 7am in the morning have got so shit faced that they've driven their milk float into a ditch in the forest and fallen asleep there for the day just the one Lucky you! (laughs) Now, here's the other thing about getting, you know, dating again as an adult because of how much changes in nine years. And I'd like to use you as an audience just for the consensus, for the genuine consensus, person to people. This is an honest question. What are we doing with our pubes? What are we doing with our pubes, guys? As I understand it, people under the age of 30 don't even know what a pube is anymore. They've never even met a pube. Some of them have evolved out of pubes. Even me talking about pubes on this podcast, someone's going to take their friend who's under 30 to a special pube museum to convince them that a pube was ever a thing. I can't be trusted by the way to be left to my own devices on pubes uh, so I grew up in Dorset and um, I lived there till I was 18 and no one was doing anything to their pubes when I was growing up in Dorset to be fair for context um, the bit of Dorset I'm from they're still wearing bum bags from the first time round <laughs> uh, so <laughs> don't knock it everyone's very happy um, but um, yeah there was no topiary happening in my early teens and then I got to London and realised that friends were going getting rid and um, I started seeing someone who I thought, well, you know, there's a bloke, he's going to expect, he's going to expect something to have been done there, so I did it, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he came round to do sexy things. I, mean, I think we did talk first, <laughs> 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 and, and, and sexy things began happening, nice ones, and then uh, um, it got to sort of trousers downtime, and he was like, "Oh, hello," and I was like, "Get in, he's noticed." he's noticed and then you know things progressed nice things and um, it got to like full trousers off time and he was like oh <laughs> oh and what I'd done is remove all of the hair from there from the front <laughs> and left absolutely everything underneath because <laughs> we're not talking about it and that's what's going to happen i Sexiness-wise, I'd given my genitals a haircut that a male monk does to his head. I'd done the opposite of what is sexy. And I'm not sure what to do now because I don't know where the boundaries lie, really. I'm fully aware that there's a massive movement to go full booth, whole growler, megamuff. Um, and I think there's sexiness just in the absolutism of the decision, isn't there? I mean, that's such a definite decision. But what if it's a bit more complicated than that? Like... <laughs> For example, I've got a bit of an age-related plate tectonics situation up there. where my belly-beard peninsula is trying to merge or dock or become one at last with the main island. <laughs> also, peninsula makes it sound too organised because it's patchier than that. <laughs> it's more of an archipelago. <laughs> you know, somewhere you might go on your honeymoon. Surely that's not acceptable, is it? Well, none of you have given me an answer. Thanks for being so unhelpful. LAUGHTER um, even with that body hair situation, I've managed to bagsy myself a really cracking missus. And um, we're at a very lovely new bit of the relationship where it's all very exciting. And we're just sort of getting to know each other, really. It takes ages to get to know someone, doesn't it? When you're really actually going to. So it's fascinating. So oh, I suppose, uh, for example, she's got dyslexia. Don't worry, I'm not about to make some hack joke about spelling Um, because it turns out I mean I just I've been very ignorant about dyslexia I'd fully misunderstood it's a lot broader than spelling it's about sort of word ordering and stuff like that and um, her dyslexia means sometimes she'll accidentally say things like um, this is moving way too fast for me (laughs) that's the dyslexia and what she actually means is, um, this is the happiest I've ever been. When can I meet your mum? <laughs> and I've noticed one thing uh, in particular being with her. Is she's got uh, two cats and, um, oh, I don't know how to put it any way other than bluntly, but they watch us when we bonk. And they're not encouraging. I um, don't know how this is going to be podcasts. One of them, One of them looks like that. <laughs> Furious, basically. The other ones are even worse. It's more like that what the fuck is that face like? But, you know, I've been thinking about it and thinking about it really from their point of view, actually. Because, actually, what is a cat thinking if it's watching two women have sex? It's a cat, so it's probably thinking, well, they're having a very thorough wash. (laughs) What a noisy wash! (laughs) I finished. I finished, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh.
6: Hello there, it's
4: Jess here, um, Jess FosterQ, the one co-hosting the episode that you're listening to. I just wanted to quickly let you know that I am on tour for the whole first half of 2020 with my show Hench, um, and I would so love you to come along to it. I start in the whole of January in London at the Soho Theatre, then I go all around the UK and Ireland, and then including from the end of March to the end of April, I'm at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and then back all around the UK again until the middle of June. Um, if you'd to come oh I would love to have you there you can get tickets from my website it's the simplest place that's where they all are go to jessicafosterq.com forward slash my hyphen doings it's not a list of my poo it's a list of my gigs thank you
0: Our guests today are the co-founders of British Rights Abroad Group, the coordinator of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Deaths Abroad and Consular Services, and the Associate Campaigns Director at Change.org. Please welcome Daniela Tahada, Rebecca Jones, Steph McTie, and Pascal Fraser-Carroll. Hello. Come, come, come. Take six. And could you please
6: introduce yourself uh, for the podcast? Um, I'm Pascal, and I am the UK Campaigns Director at Change.org, which is an online petition platform. And I help people and give advice on how to run campaigns. Wonderful.
3: Hi, I'm Steph McTighe. I work for Hannah Bardell, who is an MP. And we set up the Deaths Abroad Consular Services and Assistance All-Party Parliamentary Group. Um, because we recognised that there was a big gap for British citizens who get into trouble abroad. And uh, we have done a lot of research and uncovered some changes so, uh, that are required. So,
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Steph.
7: Hi, I'm Danielle Tejada. I'm a co-founder of the British Rights Abroad Group. We are trying to get the British government to take responsibility for all of our rights abroad as opposed to making it a discretionary service. I'm Rebecca
8: Jones. Um, I'm the sister-in-law of Nazanin Zagai Ratcliffe, the Iranian currently detained, and work with Daniela to try and campaign the government to do a little bit more for us.
0: Wonderful. All right, so let's kick it off. Daniela and Becca, you both have your own personal family stories. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about them?
8: Uh, so, uh, many of the listening audience and the audience in front of us will know about Nazanin. She's my sister-in-law, Richard's my brother. Three and a half years ago, she got taken when she was going on a family holiday to Iran. She got imprisoned, and um, we've been campaigning tirelessly ever since as a family. And Daniela has had a similar but different experience in that when your loved one gets into trouble, you immediately want to be with them and help them. But, of course, when they're overseas, you don't always have that facility. We couldn't get into Iran. So we naturally went to the Foreign Office to try and get support. And I think, like many other families we've spoken to, um, found barriers quite quickly.
0: So I would imagine if a family member who was a British citizen even if they were a dual citizen, I wouldn't think that I'm a dual citizen, uh, got in trouble abroad and then was detained, couldn't get back, that I would just go down to the House of Commons and my MP would come out and... Everything would begin, and they would start working with me.
8: Yeah, I think that's everybody's assumption, isn't it? Until you find yourself in that situation. To be fair, Naslin's MP did come out. We were talking in the green room. She was on maternity leave, and she had a three-week-old baby. But
0: yes, the, she's been on the show before with she, Richard. She's fab. Yeah, She was absolutely amazing.
8: Uh, the The Foreign Office experience was a bit different. Rick and my parents went to them, and um, and I, actually getting access to them to begin with in the first place. You know, there's a lot of emails that get ignored, phone calls that get ignored, and it was only when we started the petition uh, with pascal over and change.org we started to get momentum and, and doors started opening for us in fact you talking about dual nationals one of the first things that we got told was that the problem was she wasn't quite british enough um, what well yeah i mean yeah, this is a she lives in the uk she's married to a, a british person she's got a daughter her favorite program was EastEnders. you know she's on our she's side about the dancing final you know yeah. she is british um but it felt like there was a lot of excuses as to why there was so much inertia, why they weren't doing much, and, um, and we're still battling that today.
7: And to be honest, what we found out after gathering different testimonies and coming together as families is that the foreign office will come with any excuse they can to wash their hands off responsibility for our loved ones' rights and for your rights. Um, I'm not British myself, but my husband is. He is British enough, but the foreign office decided that it wasn't for them to actually take care of his case. And they said that...
0: What was his situation, Daniela?
7: He is a British academic. Mm -hmm. He was um, doing the last two weeks of uh, ground research for his uh, thesis in Durham University. And he went to the UAE, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi, where Mm -hmm. he had spent several years working and living, so he knew it very well, and he went to do some research with approval from the university, from the foreign office, from everyone else, and on his way back, he got abducted by the state security services of the UAE, and somehow, he was lucky enough that his mom was dropping him off at the airport, so she was able to witness it, and she called me. I was in the UK, it must have been like 5 a.m., And she said, listen, something terrible has happened. Matt has just been taken by a bunch of men with guns. And um, my instinct was to call the foreign office. I'm Colombian, and to be honest, my passport doesn't count for much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought, he's a British citizen, I'll just call his, his, you know, the entity in charge of defending him, and they'll do something. You know, the British passport is highly regarded everywhere. Um, At the moment. And... (laughs) The response was, well, listen, it's a weekend. We're not working today. Call back in 48 hours. What? Um, And your husband
0: has just been kidnapped, basically.
7: Essentially. Call back in 48
0: Uh, hours. Call back in 48 hours.
7: The local authorities should have reported it by then. I
0: left a bag in a cab last night and they were quicker.
7: Guy came straight back. The local authorities failed to report it for another six weeks. What? And those very six weeks, I was calling every day, writing emails, going for meetings.
0: Were you able to speak to Matt at all?
7: I wasn't able to speak to him. You didn't know
0: anything about where he was?
7: Where he was, who had him, absolutely oh, anything. You must have been
0: beside yourself.
7: Well, I quit my job and I went to the UAE to find answers for myself.
0: And what just like turned up like Nancy Drew on your own, no support from the foreign office?
7: Uh, No, not really. So I literally quit my job, booked a flight, arrived in Dubai and went straight to the embassy. On your own? Yeah. Wow. Is that what the hell is going on? Like, it's impossible that this is the closest ally that the UK has in the Middle East. Mm, There are all forms of economic defense, you name it, relationships, yet one of your citizens has been unjustly abducted by the state security services and you're not doing shit about it.
4: Yeah. Did you say shit or? Yeah. Yeah, good.
7: Mm. (laughs) Repeatedly. Um, Well, I actually got to see him three months after he was detained. Wow. Um, We were both forbidden to discuss anything about his case, why he was being held. Um, but he still hinted it at me by saying, when I get out, we should watch Archer, which is a show about spies. Right. And I was like, yeah, sure, darling. Like, he was like, no, we should watch it. Ah. So I went to the embassy and I said, they think he's says pie. What are you going to do about it? Well, they completely dismissed it. And a minister actually had a call with me. And when I said, they think he's a spy, what are you going to do about it? He said, okay, Daniela, I think we've heard enough. And he hung up on me.
0: Wow. Oh, my God. God.
7: It was only six months into Matt's detention when I got a call from a consular service officer to tell me that Matt was going to be taken to court, uh, that I decided to just go public. Mm. And within a month's time of me going public, the British government managed to somehow intervene. And after Matt got given a life in prison sentence, the British government actually said, no, actually, well, we don't think he's quite a spy. Uh, Four days later, he was released. That's all to say that I was a 26-year-old girl, really, Mm. traveling the world, pestering every minister you can think of, pestering MPs, going through every resource possible to get this one man out, and how is it possible that I had to go through all of that when the British government could have just like made a, a phone call to say, mm. actually he's not a spy, and he would have been freed.
0: And he is out now, and he's back home with you? Yes. Yeah. Wow, that must have been yes. some reunion. <laughs> Has that taken a toll on your relationship and your mental well-being?
7: Well, you're talking about pubes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't see where this is going at all. I'm I'm really really
4: excited. (laughs) excited. I'm so excited.
7: I'm so excited. Go on. Mm. (laughs) Well, depression has a massive toll on people's lives. Yeah. We just got married three years ago. Mm -hmm. Matt was force-fed medication Mm whilst in prison. Medication that he's currently dependent on. He's got severe PTSD, mm. uh, which means he can't have a normal life until he's gone through years of therapy. Mm. I'm still somehow trying to recover from the whole thing. So mm. even simple things like intimacy are incredibly traumatic, mm. you'd say, because you have the person that you love next to you, but you feel that intense fear that they're going to be taken away from you. Mm. Yeah. Um, so...
4: It's trauma, it's massive trauma for both of you. And
7: the British government generally doesn't give a damn.
4: Yeah.
7: Um, and that's why we're trying to mobilise efforts to make sure that this doesn't happen to any other family and any other British citizen uh, again.
0: Well, thank you for telling Amazing. us that story, yeah. Daniela.
4: <laughs> Steph, Hi. Um, you're from the all party parliamentary group on deaths abroad consular services and assistance what does that mean
3: well if i tell you how it came about working in between westminster and hannah's constituency office we had between 2015 and 2017 two families come to hannah as their mp looking for help both of the families had had their loved ones and it was Two young women in both cases killed abroad in suspicious circumstances, one in Israel first and then one in Spain. They had sought help from the Foreign and Commonwealth Office to no avail. Uh, They had gone to various organisations, the police, Scottish Government, Victim Support, you name it. They didn't fit into any box, if you like, Mm -hmm. and no one could help them. And that's not to say that there wasn't any help available but there were big gaps in what was available and particularly they were distressed about the fact that their loved ones had both died in suspicious circumstances and they were looking for answers and the FCO essentially said there's nothing we can do. So the first case was difficult enough and we wrote letters to the Prime Minister who at the time was David Cameron. He said, oh, this is awful, we'll try and help. Um,
0: Well, he always comes through on his promises. And I think (laughs) if we know anything about David Cameron, it's he is to be trusted. Of course, you didn't have that foresight then.
3: Indeed, indeed. And um, and so we pursued uh, the government, and again, to no avail. And when the second family came to us in 2017, they had already been around the houses again first, and they were really, really distressed. Mm. You know, these families were facing significant trauma and Hannah and I said and and our team in the office which is a small team there's only six of us in total this can't be right I wonder if this is happening up and down the country Mm -hmm. and as a result a debate was held in Westminster and it turned out that MPs from across the house all party colours spoke of constituents who had come to them having had similar experiences of lack of consular assistance when things went wrong overseas. And we said, right, this is something needs to be done. And we set up the APPG, as it's uh, shortened to, but it's the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Deaths Abroad and Consular Assistance. And we started to take evidence from families up and down the country. And we spoke to maybe 60 families in total, including Richard and Daniela, and as a result wrote a report and we thought that from start to finish it would maybe take six months. It didn't. It ended up taking 18 months and we rushed the report out just before the election was called a couple of weeks ago because we desperately did not want to lose the work. Mm. But I think what we uncovered was so much more than we first anticipated because we thought we were just dealing with one or two or maybe a handful of cases. What came out was this is a real issue, there's a real problem and actually you expect that if something goes wrong the passport you've got as a British citizen will somehow protect you and that your government will be there and British citizens find out in their worst hour that actually that is not the case. And so what do they say, just you shouldn't have gone abroad? They just say, we're really sorry but there's nothing we can do. And they talk about... You should take travel insurance.
5: But travel insurance
3: is like if you lose
0: your luggage, isn't it? It's sort of like, oh, or if you're in America and you break your leg or something, and then obviously you don't want to pay a $50,000 bill.
3: Yeah, well, you've hit the nail on the head. And what the APPG's findings are is that travel insurance does not cover all eventualities. No, but
0: also your travel insurance provider can't ring up and go, she's not a spy.
7: Can you let her out? They don't
0: know. Maybe I am a spy.
7: Sorry. And also, you're not paying your tax to the travel insurance. No, to Churchill.
0: Oh, yes. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Sainsbury's. No, 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 I'm not paying tax to Sainsbury's. I mean, in the future, I will be paying tax to Amazon, presumably, or Facebook. But, you know, we're not there yet. And it would be a big surprise to me if my travel insurance provider was able to contact the powers that be in another country where I had been wrongly arrested and try and get me out or get me home.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, the government's answer is, well, we're doing everything we can, but really, you know, it's up to citizens to take responsibility for themselves. It's not our problem to get into trouble.
0: <sighs> wow, that's really frightening. And it makes me want to go nowhere ever. Uh- you should celebrate yourself every day. Um, so pascal you do something to bring families together who've shared these experiences is that right
6: uh sort of it's not typically my job but it did end up sort of being it in this case so i work at change.org which is an open petition platform so people come to our site to start things on anything that matters to them and so sometimes that's because they want to get a woman on a banknote or they want to save a local library and sometimes it's because they have someone that has been imprisoned overseas and they don't know what to do to bring them home and I try to provide support and advice whether that's on trying to get signatures on their petition or how to speak to the media or sometimes it's printing off giant placards with strange things printed on them, sometimes tampons and taking them around London um, to go to like a period poverty march. And so I started advising uh, Richard when he started a petition on the platform a few years ago now. He, as Becca said, started a petition maybe a month after Nazanin was arrested because he hadn't been able to get any help and support and it was only after he started his petition and started speaking to the media that people really started to listen Mm -hmm. and then what I noticed was was that there was a pattern of people coming to a petition site Mm -hmm. to try and get supporters to get the government to pay attention to the fact that people were being imprisoned and they weren't really getting the help that they needed. People like Daniela, for example. And so I thought that it might be good for some of them to get together, even Mm -hmm. if just to compare experiences and support each other with how they can campaign on these different issues. And some families just met, I think, through their campaigning work and wanting to support each other. And it was when they started comparing notes that they realised that maybe there was a systemic issue here Mm. and there should be a law or there was something wider that the government could or might be able to do to help them. And so they all came to me and said, we're starting this petition. And so I've been giving some advice and support on what they can do there. And I think the thing that's really powerful for me is that, you know, Richard and Becker are still fighting to bring Nazanin home. Mm. Danielle's just got her husband back in her life. No one needs to continue necessarily working on this issue but they believe so strongly that this shouldn't happen to anyone else that they want to keep mm. fighting and create and, a community yeah
4: Oh, um becca you're going to read a poem for us that Nazanin yeah, has written just
8: to cheer me up a bit more <laughs> so this is a, um, a poem that Nazanin has just written actually for many of you will know that uh, Nazanin's daughter gabrielle we've blessed she's come back to us but that of course has left her bereft Sometimes days can pass without me seeing the sky, except that small piece with the lonely cloud brooding over the prison yard, our view in this far-off place. While elsewhere the trees bloom and the sun dazzles and the leaves fall and the snows come again, in our yard of sky days do not differ. They do not pass but repeat as a mother alone. These days I am a lonely mother. I bathed my baby in my tears of goodbye my arms full of cuddles now ended, with kisses of hope for her return on an adventure to be with her hero, who she only ever imagined for more than half her life, a reality now to mend. But I was left behind with my repeating, whilst outside passes by, and on tears my food, fears filling my mind, solitude too often my friend, and doubt my relentless foe. What if they never let me go? laughter has become my past sorrow only my present now and hope on a horizon hard to see yesterday we sat in the yard we welcomed the newcomers from solitary and baked scones for breakfast which we ate with pistachio peel jam willing it to taste sweet we showed them the yard of winter sun wishing it to be warm i talked of the almond tree in my grandparents village up in the hills it survives the wind and the cold and storm and then bears the most beautiful blossoms and almonds so sweet in May. And I talked of the almond tree we have at home, now far away. I talked of being strong to myself as well as to those listening for when the seasons move again. Freedom needs its faiths. That faith is our survival. Within these walls of recurring days and absences, across the swirling storms of Iran, that lonely days of separation will pass, that the walls will fall, that beyond the pale sun injustice will become a shadow and our trees of solitude will blossom again in the sky beyond the yard. One day we will sit on our own balcony and see the sky open wide, watching the seals and their sunbathing, a new breakfast of scones and jam, understanding their sweetness anew, with a happiness in arms so long outstretching and cuddles no longer missed, now to fill a life new."
0: Very moving, thank you. And Daniela, what is it that we can do, because we have a very activated audience here in the theatre, but also our podcast listeners at home. Can you tell us how we can help?
7: Yes, you can actually do a lot of things. So um, the first thing is to please go to change.org and sign our petition. Uh, we're asking the British government to make it a law, a legal obligation for the government to protect British rights abroad. And the probably most important thing will be um, amping up our campaign uh, to demand that the government takes our request seriously and makes it a law for the British government to make all of its citizens' human rights a top priority above any other interest. And for that, we will need a lot of MP support So please, 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 as soon as you know who your MP is, pester the hell out of them with letters asking them, what is my government doing for my rights domestically and abroad?
0: Thank you very much. And we can put all of that in the show notes so that people can see it. Or we could follow one of you on Twitter and see where those things
7: are. We actually have a Twitter account. It's uh, at UK Rights Abroad. So please follow us. We also have our independent accounts. Yep. There is free Nazanin D to Hada V. Uh, <laughs> not Re- <quite> catchy. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. <laughs> uh, Rebecca Jones. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so please um, just tell your networks, tell your families, this could happen to any of you, and the sooner we get this law in place, the sooner you'll actually be able to go abroad and know that you'll be safe.
0: Thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing. Please follow at UK Rights Abroad. Is there a website? Uh, No. no. Okay. There is not a website. Change.org. 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 Go to to Change.org and look for UK Rights Abroad, and uh, connect in. Write to your MP. uh, Tell them it's important. It could be you or somebody you love. Uh, And actually, it doesn't matter if it's us or someone we love. It's somebody, and it's somebody somebody loves. And they're out there and they need our help. And that's what feminism is. It's not just caring about ourselves and the people we love, but it's caring about other people who are vulnerable right now. Um, you guys are all doing an absolutely incredible job. Could we have a big round of applause for Daniela? <clears throat> Becca! Becca! Is there anything anyone else wants to say that they came to say, that they need to leave on the table?
3: On the APPG, we've had to disband it because of the election, but assuming Hannah's re-elected, we'll hope to restart it, and it would be great if people could encourage their MPs to join the APPG on deaths abroad and consular services.
0: Okay, so when you're writing to your MP anyway, you're going to say, (laughs) dear MP please address this and we want to change this law and also is there any chance you could join the appg on deaths abroad and consular services and assistance
4: because we'd really like that <laughs> and then you can also if you want ask them um, if they ghost you just send them another one saying and what are we doing about our pubes
0: You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, David Francis White, guest co-host Jessica Bosteku, and our very special guests, Danny Elatiada, Rebecca Jones, Steph McTee, and Pascal Fraser-Carroll. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for The Spotted Aid Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Sally, and over at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Also, also, people have sexual urges that I, look. I don't approve of everything I'm aroused by. <laughs> no, me neither. Oh, you put it perfectly. No, I don't. I don't. Way. I don't.
4: I don't. For example, so, Reese's peanut butter cups.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying. Sometimes I'm aroused by something I don't approve of it. But what am I going to do? I'm stuck with the arousal I have.
4: <laughs>
0: you want to take me up on that? Then tweet me, at me, come on. Come, a- come at me. I will stand by the fact that my arousal centers and my approval centers are in different parts of my body. Have
6: <laughs> <laughs> you done yours? Hello, guilty feminists. It's Kel Wilson here. I'm a feminist, but not only am I accompanying Deborah Francis White around New Zealand this February, I'm doing my stand-up show, Gifted Underachiever, as well. You can catch me in Christchurch from the 11th to the 16th of February as part of the Bread and Circus World Buskers Festival. Tickets are available from breadandcircus.co.nz, and I'll be doing this show in Auckland on February the 22nd, right before we do The Guilty Feminist. It is going to be a big night for Wilson. Tickets from qtheatre.co.nz. I really hope you'll join me